Hello, and welcome back to Star Tracking, a Deep Space Nine podcast. This will be the final episode. Uh, now that we have finished our watch through of the entire series, uh, I am Larry Davis, your host, as usual. With me, as usual, is George Brundle. That's right, as usual. I am here. And, as uh, usual. As usual, I would like to open this episode on uh, the ninth rule of acquisition opportunity plus instinct equals profit. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think we both had the instinct and the opportunity to put on a good podcast uh, over this last couple years as we watched DS9. Uh, and I just want to thank everyone for joining us on our trek through Trek. Star I'll Trek know, know is the name doing. of the show. No, it's not. Uh, Deep Space Voyager. We've been over this many times. That doesn't make any sense. You're not trekking. <laughs> you're You're tracking. You're tracking things in space, the stars. It's Star Trek. Mm. Anyway, uh, here on our final episode, we'll, we'll be counting down our top five episodes from the series. That's right. And talking about them. Yeah, we each made our own list of top five. I don't mm-hmm. know what's on your list. Correct. Uh, you don't know what's on my list. Well, uh, this yeah, is a completely original idea. <laughs> we did not it rip is, off. Actually. It, we came up with this before Red Letter Media. <laughs> yeah. First fucking first of all it's not my fault it took you a year to finish the final season like well, to be I mean, fair you had to watch a lot of vic fontaine we so. watched this both at the same time for this show <laughs> uh, well anyway uh yes we we both made our top five lists and so we'll we'll kind of go over them together you think you know what's on my list i don't think yeah, that i do I don't think that you know i i 90 percent know what your number one is at least Hmm. Well then who should start? Um you start. Okay. We'll, we'll start from number 5. And here's the thing. Well, I'll, okay, when when we get to mine, I'll tell you the criteria for my list. Okay. I so my number 5, I tried to like limit myself and only put one Ferengi episode in my top 5 <laughs> because okay. otherwise my entire top 5 was just going to be for any Ferengi episodes. I was like I can't do that. <laughs> sure. That's not fair. Uh, but this actually was like the hardest one to nail down was what my favorite Ferengi episode is because they're all kind of great. Like I I think my top yeah, especially Profit and Lace. Well, of course, but we've already <laughs> talked about that yeah. seminal episode. A fine hour of television. Uh, it's a different time, Larry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very different time. Uh, no, I. It, it came down to me between Who Mourns for Mourn, uh, Bar Association, and Magnificent Ferengi. And I think Bar Association is the one that won out for me in the end. Uh, okay. It's surprising to me, kind of going back and like reviewing all these, realizing this comes at about the midway point of the entire series, that this is the moment that they kind of break Rom out and make him a bigger character than he was. Yeah, and Lita too. Yeah, I thought this happened earlier. It's been a while, and so I like remember this happening around season three and not like the middle of season four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a great little episode. It's uh, the one that you always see pictures of with Rom quoting Marx. Yeah, you Richard get... Marx. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is also the, the first episode where you get a uh, Brunt. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow, I thought yeah. he was way earlier than that. Yeah. Huh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
are you doing, Jerry? <laughs> Look, I, I really like Jeffrey Combs. I needed a good Jeffrey Combs episode in this too, and That's his his brunt is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Check out the brunt on that <laughs> Bajoran. Um, but yeah, you're right. That that episode is particularly seminal for Rom. Yeah. Uh, because before that, like he's kind of just like a dope. Yeah. Uh, well, before that, they do have bits about like him being good at engineering and stuff like that. But yeah, they they set up some stuff about like oh he might act dumb, but he's a secret genius. Uh, yeah, but yeah. then this episode finally like makes it good on building that out into like a a bigger character. Like Rom for the rest of the series is is given much more interesting stuff to do. He's put in he's put in charge of like doing the mines when the Dominion comes in yep. to take over. Like he's given well, more he has, agency. He has the whole idea for it, doesn't he? The self replicating yeah. mines. Like I I would say the main thing here is not just him being like smarter than he appears. It's that this is the episode where he breaks away from Quark yeah. and stops like being in yeah. his shadow all the time. Yeah, he stops waiting for him to die. <laughs> to <inherit laughs> yeah, so he can take the bar. That's right. Uh, which, good for him. And this, yeah, of yeah. course, this, of course, like at the end of the series, kind of comes back and we see that Frankie society is pushing more towards socialism in <laughs> part because of all the things that Rom did. Like the labor well, strike at Quark's bar has a reverberating impact on Ferengi culture. It's kind of more from Moogie, though. That too. Like, like yeah. she does a lot of that. He got it from her. Yeah, true. <laughs> this also, though, opens on, like, the really good bit of, like, Rom just pouring fizzy water down his ear hole. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, Rom. Like, and, like, passing out and Quark just being like, I'm gonna dock his pay. <laughs> it's like using a neti pot for his ears. That's right. Terrible. Uh, there's also just a lot of really good uh, Chief O'Brien and Bashir stuff in this because they're the ones that egg on the strike. And so you got them, like, sitting egg. outside of uh, Quark's bar looking for scabs. Uh, and, of course, they end up jumping a wharf who's going in there to get a drink. Mm-hmm. And I just, I really like that bit in the jail where Cisco just sees all three of them locked up. <laughs> just fed the fuck up with all this. <laughs> All this so, Ferengi shit. I'm sick of these little bigger freaks running around the station. <laughs> right. Round them up. One of them was a camp. One of them was a feral child for like two years. What's up with that? Yeah, now he's working with Starfleet. I don't get it. Like we just yeah. had him do some inventory, and now he's like normal. Weird. <laughs> but yeah, it it was really hard, kind of narrowing down a good Ferengi episode. I I think. I I came really close to the Magnificent Ferengi. I think that's also just a really fantastic one. Uh, it is. Then you get all those freaks together. Every <laughs> named Ferengi in one episode. <laughs> besides the Negus, who is only mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but Little Green Men is excellent, too. Uh, well, we already talked about that one, so I didn't want to. Now we'll move on to my number five. The Magnificent Ferengi. Yes! <laughs> I also knew I had to have a Ferengi episode on here, uh, and this was my pick. I'm glad we didn't overlap on this one. Um, oh, it's good. My my problem with this episode, there aren't seven of them. Mm. They didn't have enough Ferengi. They should have had seven. Like They named them the episode The Magnificent Ferengi. They should have gotten another one. 
Hey, shut whatever. Up. I, I had seen you uh, tweet something recently asking about why in a best of compilation, uh, Fistful of Frankie wasn't in there. Fistful was of Data. Fistful of Data, I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to joke, oh, that's just a remake of the Magnificent Ferengi. And then I remembered <laughs> Fistful of Dollars is remaking Yojimbo, so that joke yeah. doesn't work. But it's right. almost, it almost that's... did, and it would have been really good. Yeah, sure. It, if it had made sense, it would have been good. Um, yeah, so, Magnificent Ferengi, uh, we get uh, Quark getting a message from the Nagus after he has procured a large supply of basically maple syrup. Yeah, uh, syrup of squill, uh, which he, he he's mad that uh, he's telling everybody in the bar about this big conquest, and then like the Starfleet guys come in and everyone pays attention to them. And yeah. He's like, come on, look at all the syrup I got. It's cool, right? And yeah. He's told like, well, they're heroes. There's We're nothing doing... heroic about making profit. We're doing flapjacks tomorrow, and I'm going to overcharge everybody. Yeah, that's right. Why are anybody you paying attention to it? these war freaks? Yeah. Um, but then he gets a message from the Nagus that uh, Moogie has been kidnapped uh, as being held by the Dominion, so he's got to put a crack team together, which involves his uh, weirdo cousin. Kayla. Uh, yeah, with the moon. <laughs> he's got the moon. <laughs> that's right. Uh, um... Well, Brunt ends up coming along, of course. Gotta have Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. Um, the oh, Lek, the Eliminator, uh, oh, who I like God, to imagine yeah. as X, the Eliminator from Harvey Birdman. Yes, but he's also like kind of just not that good at it. No, is the what? thing like so uh, he's, he's pretty good at throwing those knives at the Jim Hadar at the end. That is true. Yeah. All right. No, I take but, it back. He's he's but, competent. Yeah. Um. It's like everybody else that's bad. In fact, when they're doing the hollow uh, simulation of the rescue and everyone else just like gets chased off, he just shoots Moogie in it. <laughs> and he's <laughs> like, I saw we weren't going to rescue her, so I put her out of her misery. <laughs> Which is really good. There's a bit, too, where they're just like, oh, you know, this shouldn't be like a military mission. This should be a, like, negotiation. Because that's uh -huh. what Frankie are good at. And so Nick is just like, well, then why the fuck am I here? Yeah. I just want to kill. There's also a very good bit, which is, like, contractually obligated, I imagine, where at the beginning, uh, Quark and Rom are going through the Jeffries tubes, and they just, like, poke into Cisco's oh, office yes. for a second. Yes. <laughs> He's just like uh can i help you uh wrong, wrong turn i this think so and then he just like continues staring shot in the middle of the episode yeah and he just like goes back to staring at a wall like he's david putty or something i love <laughs> it right. yes yeah, this guy's just sitting in there just staring at nothing yeah that whole time <laughs> god and that's like his only scene in that entire episode too yeah or no wait yeah. no there's there's, I think, the one other bit where they uh, talk about releasing the, uh, oh, God, why am I? The Vorta? Vorta. Wow. I host a podcast like this for like a couple of years and I somehow forget the name of the freaking Vorta. Uh -huh. uh, but they released the one that they captured uh, some episodes back uh, when they were all like stranded on that planet with the Jim Hadar. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's nice that they looped back around on that, that plot element, too, because they, they do take him captive at the end of it. And, you know, it's implied that they're going to get some information out of him. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, of course, this episode features the great Iggy Pop. 
who uh it's always funny whenever his voice appears like over the pa system basically just being like ferengi i'm losing my patience (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's just unfortunate he doesn't take his shirt off the entire episode it's the only time i think i've ever seen eggy pop keep his shirt on yeah did you know uh mick fleetwood is in an episode of tng no yeah so it's uh i'm blanking on the name of the episode but he can't act so what they did is they just put him in (laughs) this like horrible fish costume and just had him kind of like wiggle around and make fish noises the entire episode and it didn't like give him more than one line and you have no idea idea that it's him because you never see his face and his voice is completely unrecognizable but he's in that episode that's fantastic and like wharf has like a profound respect for this race of weird fish people like when they're they're like slurping up like this goop because they came out of hibernation and they need to eat it looks like porridge that's even more watery than it should be mm-hmm. and like Worf is just watching this and goes like ah oh, what a handsome race <laughs> <laughs> majestic yeah it's such a fucking weird episode but i like uh i like whenever you get some sort of musician who's just like i want to be in an episode of star trek and so they just cover them with a bunch of weird alien prosthetics <laughs> yeah. i mean yeah like kelsey Grammer had it easy they just put him in a starfleet uniform and he was good to go like, yeah a lot right. of those like guest stars like frank langella like when he appeared in this apparently that was just because his kids like star trek and he was like yeah i'll do it well, that's uh, the whole thing with Whoopi Goldberg, too, is she just really liked Star Trek and begged them to be on a Star Trek. And so they made her like a pretty frequent recurring character. Yeah. So. So, OK. Uh, we could be on a Star Trek if we wanted to. We yeah, just got to like, yeah, we just got to like pester the right people. But then mm. they'll end up putting us into Star We'd be on lower decks. Oh, oh, that's even worse. <laughs> We'd be in that new Nickelodeon show with jason manzoukas that seems better because like jason manzoukas is involved yeah that's, that's true uh, uh, alan tudyk is in discovery though uh, that's a good point wait no he isn't doug jones doug is jones in is in it yeah. yes which is Danny also jones. good yeah uh-huh. uh I just so want to like, stand next to Doug Jones just once in my life to see like exactly like where where does the top of my head come to his uh, body? To I'm his guessing. Nipples. I was going to say kneecaps. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe you are like <laughs> Rom height or Nog height. I mean, that's right. Just um, a little dude running, scurrying away from Doug Jones <laughs> as he comes like barreling towards me, doesn't even realize that I'm there. Uh huh. Uh, so Magnus the Ferengi grass are collapsing around me like trees. I was going to say it's like an ants. Um, <laughs> Magnus the Ferengi also gets bonus points for having a weekend at Bernie's segment. Yes. Uh, they attach the neuro stimulators to the dead Vorta my and just like have them jerk around. My favorite bit of that is him just kind of like wobbling around towards uh, the, the Vorta and uh, the Jimadar. And he's just like, oh my god, what have they done to him? Yeah. <laughs> and then he just ends up like bumping into the wall forever, and they just leave. Yeah, his uh, the the AI routine on this NPC glitched out, and so he's just... <laughs> it's like a Bethesda character. Yeah. 
Oh man, no, if he was like a Bethesda character, he would have clipped through the ground and started like vibrating around halfway through. <laughs> he would have just started levitating. <laughs> just despawns completely. Yep. With the death of this Vorta, your bond has been severed. You may continue to uh, play in this ruined world or load a previous save. Uh, well, what what's your number four? Uh, I my number oh, four. Okay, well, first I would say I had to get to my Ferengi episode, but I will say mine are. I did not pick like critical episodes, like ones specifically related to the overarching plot. I tried to get like standalone ones mm. and not gimmick episodes. So, Trials and Tribulations is not here. You know things like that. Um, none of the okay. uh, mirror universe ones are aren't here. Uh, so I I have that's a what I went with. I have a real mix. I have about one of everything. Okay. I, I kind of went with this is what my favorite is of this type of episode. Bar Association is the only one where it, it's debatable for me because all the Ferengi episodes are really good, uh, especially Prophet and Lace. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I I really wanted to narrow it down to one, and I'm glad it was one I did because we still got to talk about uh, Magnificent Ferengi, but I yeah. am a big fan of Rom. I like Rom a lot. And so yeah. I had to go with my, my favorite rom episode i'm a fan uh, of rom i am i'm cheating a little bit because my number four is two episodes there's okay, a lot i of... don't have any two-parters on my okay there's a lot of two-parters in trek and uh i most are bad i picked the best one uh it's past tense parts one yes. and two i considered this one this is a really really great episode uh yep. where cisco and bashir and dax end up traveling through time due to a transporter mishap which those never happen uh, <laughs> so this not. is a very unique premise for an episode <laughs> time travel and a transporter accident in star trek what's going on track yeah i know it's weird yeah but they they end up getting transported back to the wacky world of 2024 uh, right before the bell riots start, which is an event that is going to play a critical role, not only in history, but the formation of the Federation. And naturally, Cisco and Bashir fuck it all up. Of course. <laughs> so in the future, the Federation is gone in an instant. The only ones left are on the Defiant, and they have to mount a rescue operation to bring Cisco, Bashir, and Dax back. Uh, also, the entire like Dax plotline of this is just that Elon Musk is trying to seduce her. <laughs> yeah, but the great thing about that is that at first it looks like he's really sinister, like he's totally up to something. Yeah, and then later it's like, nah, he just he just thinks Jadzia is real purdy. Yeah, which like yeah, he's, sure, he's just a simp. We have yeah. plenty of those in 2021, and I'm sure we'll have plenty more in 2024. Uh-huh. Uh, because as you know the 217th rule of acquisition is you can't free a fish from water sure. this guy's thirsty for jacks <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> but i uh, usually when you take a look at like stuff that happens in the past in track uh it's going to a very familiar time it's like oh Kirk's in the 1940s now. Uh, World War II's about to really pop off. Sure. Or, you know, they, they go back to these very familiar moments that the audience is easily able to understand. 
in this episode, they do go to the past, but it's still the future for the people watching this show back in the 90s. And so it's the future for us now for a little bit. Yeah, for just a, for a tiny bit of time. But it's an interesting episode to watch both from the perspective of somebody who existed back in the 90s and know, knows what that point in time was like and what this sort of like hypothesized vision of the future is mm-hmm. to a 90s person's mind. And then also watching this from someone's perspective who's like three years away from it happening. Yeah. And it is so much more prescient now than it was in the 90s, even though like the way this episode is framed, it's still largely a commentary on stuff that was happening in the 90s. Right. It it was all like, you know, the L.A. riots and Rodney King stuff at the time. But now has a, yeah, perhaps even more, um, I don't know what I want to say it's the names have changed i suppose yeah the 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 historical names have changed but the problems are still the same sure but like the kind of uh what ends up happening is they get picked up by the cops uh one of which is played by what is their name larry i for whatever reason names are i'm not yeah Oh, uh, Dick Miller. Dick Miller. Famous character actor Dick Miller. Yep. Uh, shows up in this playing a real dirtbag cop who's a little bit drunk on power. Uh, <laughs> decides to have Cisco and Bashir processed and sent to basically a... You ever see Escape from L.A.? Oh, yeah. Yeah, basically Escape from L.A. They, they just <laughs> stick them in one of those situations. Escape um, from L.A. or Escape from New York? I think it's more Escape from L.A. because it's a little bit wackier than Escape from L.A. I suppose so. Yeah. Uh, but there's uh, there's gimmies, which are people who, you know, they got they normal know. brains and they just want a job. And then you got uh, dims, which I assume stands for dimwit because uh, these people have diseases of the mind. There are a bunch of king sharks is That's what you're right. saying. Exactly. Okay. I wasn't going to say the thing that I said the last time. Well, no, it's a good yeah. idea. You know, when we were talking about the other wrong yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, there's uh, a lot of tension. Everything's kind of getting ready to boil over and, and sort of pop off in this really big way. There's too much overcrowding. There's not enough to eat. There's just violence in the middle of the street every single night. Kids getting stabbed and... All of this is going on, and Cisco and Bashir are just trying to do nothing, which is very difficult for them. So you just get a lot of it's a good, um, it's a good prime directive episode, kind of in the middle of all this, because they know that they can't interfere with any of this stuff going on because it could end up having a butterfly effect, uh, which is why naturally Cisco and Bashir get the guy who was supposed to solve all this killed. <laughs> At uh-huh. the end of part one. <laughs> yeah. Whoopsie doodle. Oops. It's fine, though, because Cisco is also black. So he's just able to take the guy's name and nobody can tell the difference. Of course. Um, but your whole second episode is just like this hostage situation. And that's great, too, because like all the tension from that first episode is carried into the second one. It's just building upon itself. Uh these I think are best watched like back to back. They really don't skip a beat between them. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I also think there's a lot of good stuff of uh, O'Brien and Kira going back in time because they have like limited charges through the transporter to go back and find uh, Cisco and the others. Uh, and so they kind of narrow down possible time periods. And so you get a good bit of them going back to like the 60s and meeting a couple of stoners and then like teleporting away. It's yeah. fine because they're on drugs. <laughs> so this episode... um. I would say there are two good two-parters and one would be this one. The other one would be the one um, where they go to get uh, Bashir and Martok like out of that prison camp. Yeah. That one's pretty good. That one's great. Um, and the, this episode would have been on my list. Like if we were doing a top 10, like this is kind of just, this would be like probably six or seven. I would yeah. have put it. Um, but I do really like this one. I mean, we brought it up before, but I think like the the coup de gras of this episode is they get back onto the Defiant, and Bashir comes in and he's just like, "Hey, check out this Wikipedia article about the <laughs> yeah. Bell rights. Who do you think this photo of Gabriel Bell looks like?" Yeah, and I I still really like that they call it back later. Yeah, yeah. The uh, we mentioned in Little Green Men, uh, yeah. where Nog is learning about Earth history and is just like, "Hey, don't you think this picture looks a little bit like Captain Cisco?" Yeah, uh, weird. Yeah, that's bizarre. I mean, that's time travel episodes as far as they go. I do think Little Green Men really should have probably been on my list over Bar Association, considering how much I'm bringing it up. But like, I think that one is a really good time travel episode too. Because yeah. you get a lot of the, I mean, that is going back to a very familiar time. Uh, it's going back to like Roswell specifically, implying that the Frankie were the aliens in the Roswell incident. Uh, but you get a lot of being able to view that time period through the perspective of an alien race, which is a fairly unique way to handle that premise for track. Uh-huh. Uh, also which has also... that one lady giving uh, Ram Umox. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know any unknowingly yeah, yeah she was that's the fucked up part about it uh-huh it's almost as bad as when regis philbin gave cork <laughs> umox <laughs> oh no on live television in front of a captive audience he should have done that while he was in the shrek costume <laughs> that's fine i'll commission somebody <laughs> oh god oh, man yeah, but there's, I just like the bit in that episode, too, of them going like, I don't know why there's all this interference unless, like, you know, there's radiation particles in the air. But, like, no one would set off nuclear weapons on their planet. <laughs> yeah, that'd be crazy. No, just being like, they do it all the time. Humans are the most fucked up thing. <laughs> 1900s were a bizarre time. Yeah, that they were. Thank God uh, we are in the new Willilium. <laughs> Will Lilia? <laughs> I should have just said that we're in the year of our Jericho, 2021, but... Please, oh, it's the year of our Jericho 21, 20 21. is the, the format. Thank you. Uh, so, I love Chief O'Brien. Basically, any episode about him like, yeah. specifically is a good time he is especially the most important member of starfleet he he is especially uh any episode where he is being horribly tortured uh which uh, is most of them <laughs> so oh i think we have the same number three i well this is my number or, four i'm sorry yeah i think yeah. you have my number three but so i went with whispers 
Oh, okay, you don't. No, it's not the the other one. Um, but this Still one, I think, one. yeah, it is. The, this I really like because it's just a good self-contained mystery. Uh, because even watching it knowing what the twist at the end is it's still fun to watch yeah because you know why everybody is acting so weird uh but just seeing uh colmini i blinked on his name now that's terrible um like having to uh negotiate this figure out what's going on and just get increasingly paranoid especially the bit where um odo comes back and odo clearly doesn't know what's happening and so O'Brien goes up to him. It's like, hey, everybody's acting like a freak. Uh, there's something weird going on here. Yeah. And uh, Oda's like, all right, I'll look into it. And then later, uh, he's like, you, you should just stay here for a bit. Like, give up, <laughs> give yourself up. And he's like, oh, oh no, no, they, they got, got, to, got to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. And then him just like bailing out and uh, calling up the Starfleet admiral who does the same thing, like turn around, go back to the station. It's yeah. all very good. There's a lot of track episodes that kind of play with a similar sort of like a framing device of, oh, something bizarre has happened to the majority of the characters, but not me, not yeah. me and my normal brain. <laughs> sure. There's quite a few in TNG, but like I, I think uh, at least the one that's immediately coming to mind to me is Conspiracy, uh, which that's is a very one. good episode. Yeah. Involving worms. And basically a twelve dollar budget, uh, but <laughs> they used it all to make that guy explode. They spent it all on the the meal worms that they made Jonathan Frakes pick up and like <laughs> slosh around in his hands, then like dangle it in front of his face. And then in like interviews after that, he was like, "Worms got in my mouth." <laughs> <laughs> the worms! I yelled "worm," and they had to cut. <laughs> He summoned the worms, like Duke Atreides. <laughs> but in that episode, it's these uh, parasites get into the heads of a bunch of like admirals at Starfleet, and they're acting weird. And so the crew of the Enterprise needs to get to the bottom of it. Uh, so kind of similar to this, but in, in this episode, it is just O'Brien is the odd man out. Yeah. Uh, and the reason is this O'Brien is not the O'Brien that you know. Right, so there's a uh, Starfleet is going to be having peace talks with. It's like some race that I don't think ever came up before, um, and they were going to be trying to negotiate a peace deal with them, and uh, some like faction within them, I think it was, uh, created this replicant O'Brien, basically to be a Manchurian candidate, uh, and assassinate one or both of the parties during the peace accord talk or whatever and so you don't find this out until like the very end like the last couple of minutes where like he gets to the planet where this is happening he sees cisco and these aliens talking and then like he just gets shot and then it's like doctor open the door and then he opens the door and you see the real o'brien come out yeah uh, we just hit the real o'brien in this closet the entire time <laughs> yeah so we give him a couple cans of tuna and a bottle of water. He's fine. <laughs> sure. Well, he, he was in a mind prison for several decades. It's, it's fine. Yeah. I guess yeah, this is before that. Yeah. Look, we know he can survive. O'Brien's a survivor. He's been in wars. He's had teeth removed. Yep. Because Kurtwood Smith said so. Uh, yeah. 
But yeah, I I do think that this is a great O'Brien must suffer episode, and I kind of feel that we could end up making a top ten list of just O'Brien must suffer. Oh yeah, episodes. It, there for, are so many of them. For me, it was between this and the one where he's like jumping around in time, that then oh, ends yeah. up like dying, and like the other O'Brien is actually the current one from that point on. Yeah. So we're moving on to my number three. Yep. Okay. Number well, three. We already, I, I I gave away the fact that mine is also an O'Brien Must Suffer episode, but let's talk real quickly about the O'Brien Must Suffer episodes. So this one is not Larry Davis. It's not the one where they fake O'Brien in Bashir's death. And the only reason that he is saved from <laughs> actual death is because his wife underestimates his addiction to coffee. Yeah. Which is, which is, that's also good because that is a bit in whispers because he just keeps like uh, ordering Jamaica blend double strong double sweet or something and there's yeah. at one point he's like you gotta stop drinking all this <laughs> yeah i i really like that uh that the, the punchline at the end of that episode i think is my favorite like end cap to any uh, yeah. space nine episode it's pretty much that one and and bashir coming in going like hey take a look at this gabriel bell guy <laughs> uh like just pitch perfect ds9 is really good with its humor it's really good with its serious beats and it's really good with its interplay between the two of those uh, and i think that episode is a fantastic example of that it's not the one where uh o'brien's daughter falls into a fucking vortex and comes <laughs> out as a full-grown feral woman and stabs a man no of course not <laughs> Although I think, like, as I was making my way through these episodes and just seeing the thumbnail and the description for that, like, <laughs> gave me pause because I was just like, holy shit, stop doing this to O'Brien. That one's especially messed up because he basically has to let his daughter die. Yeah. Because, like, as far as he knows, like, she's never coming back when she yeah. goes out the portal. Well, I think, like, the thumbnail for that, too, is, like, O'Brien reaching out for her and yeah, her yeah. screaming as she falls into the hole. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God. What the fuck? Uh, it, it is not the one where O'Brien has his tooth removed after he's captured by oh. the Cardassians. Although I think that episode is uh, great for the lore that it builds up with the Cardassians and their it, disgusting legal system. Is that is that one of the first ones with the Obsidian Order? It might be. Maybe. I think. It was either it was either that or the one with um Garrick's mentor. Mm, yeah or what or was it the one where um kira gets like brought in and they like make her look like a cardassian it might be that one i i don't know that one i think kind of takes place a little bit later oh it's um no they always kind of mention that like garrick was a spy they think he's a spy they think the taylor thing is a front i think the first episode where it really pops up is when uh quark's old cardassian flame comes back on the station oh yeah and then uh garrick is approached and told if he kills her he will be invited back into cardassia which is of course a lie yeah so uh, i i know they mention that garrick is possibly a spy but they don't really know it for a while but i know at least uh when watching these um i watched our man bashir and in that one he specifically mentions the uh, obsidian order our man bashir almost made my list I yeah, I'm surprised it was not on there. I I had to cut it because I thought that like my love of James Bond uh, <laughs> was was maybe 
making me a bit too biased towards an episode that is not quite as good as five other episodes in this series. Yeah. Um, but you but get, I do like it a whole lot. You get lot. O'Brien with the eye patch, and you get you. Uh, Cisco doing that, huh? <laughs> like laugh at that one point. Every Brooks is given such good material through that entire episode. He is having the time of his life playing oh, yeah. the bad guy. This is uh, since we're talking about episodes that did not make our list at this point. Uh, uh, this before was we to happen. Yeah, uh, I did not put Far Beyond the Stars on my list. I think that is probably one that would end up on a lot of best of lists of DS9. Sure. I think it's a very good episode. It's probably in my top 10. Uh, I agree. Doesn't quite cut it for me personally, but I do not doubt how genuine Cisco's breakdown is at the end of that episode. They, they tell the story and like a lot of behind the scenes stuff about how like every Brooks could have gone on for like a half hour with that scene. If somebody didn't like come in and stop him. And I know that's the case because the way he starts talking in that is Avery Brooks voice and not Benjamin yeah. Sisko voice saying yeah. shit like, you can't have those characters. They're in my mind. It's ancient knowledge. Like Sisko would not <laughs> say any of that shit. Mm -hmm. That is just how Avery Brooks talks. Like when he's ordering a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You ask him what kind of uh, meats you want. And he says, just glide, baby, glide. It's like jazz. <laughs> Anyway, my uh, top O'Brien Most Suffer episode is Hard Times. All right. Uh, where O'Brien gets put in a mind prison because he was curious about a piece of tech that he saw in an alien world and kind of just wanted to get like a closer look at it. And they're like, oh, that's espionage. Now you must suffer. Mm hmm. For 45 minutes of television. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,. This episode opens on O'Brien just kind of getting tossed into this prison and and growing just the sickest, grayest beard you've ever seen yeah. on an Irishman. <laughs> and seeing like the specter of his uh, cellmate just kind of popping up and haunting him. Uh, but as he kind of comes out of this, it's explained that, oh, you were in virtual reality. You were made to feel like you were in prison for the last like 20 years Uh these memories that are in your head are real to you as real as if though they happen, but they didn't actually happen as just like the next day. Uh, so now we need to reintegrate you back into society, uh, which does not go well for O'Brien. Uh, he ends uh, up carrying all this baggage back with him. Cause the thing is they could have just like wiped his memory, but he doesn't want them to, right? No, they could wipe his memory, but it would be a complete memory wipe. Oh, okay. We would be taking O'Brien back to baby. Oh, no. <laughs> Which I'm sure glad they didn't do. Uh, but you you have all these characters who they, they very much care about uh, about O'Brien. Uh, <laughs> That's the name of his autobiography. <laughs> like, Keiko is obviously, like, distraught over this stuff. She doesn't know what's happening to her husband. He's like dividing up bits of chicken off his dinner plate and wrapping it up so he can save it later because they didn't feed him sometimes for weeks at a time in mind jail mm -hmm. uh, and that that's the thing is like he kills his cellmate because he thinks he's holding yeah. out food from him when really his cellmate was dividing two portions of food to give between them yeah uh but by the time O'Brien realizes that uh, he's had an oopsie doops and snapped the guy's neck. <laughs> yeah. So, uh oh. And then they feed him the next day. Yeah. 
So like O'Brien is living with the the tortures experience of being locked in a single room for about 20 years, consistently starved in a pit. Yeah. (laughs) It's a pit full of sand. It's not even like a regular cell. Like he's just in a Buffalo bill style pit. Like you're going to throw him lotion in a basket. And not only is that weighing on him, but he now has like the guilt of murder Mm -hmm. riding on his back. Uh, and you know, well, he's he's also Irish, so he's got that Catholic thing of like, <laughs> you imagine the sin; it's the same as doing it. Yeah, he didn't even have a, a little bit to drink during that entire twenty-year stuff. Oh no, it's terrible. Uh, but like Bashir is one of the most concerned people about this, uh, obviously because they're best buds, and he's also his doctor, and he's trying to do everything he can to reach out and help. But like O'Brien is like losing his shit at Bashir, he's losing his shit at his own daughter, uh, he's taken his badge off and thrown it down and thrown a fit because Cisco wants him to go to therapy. Uh, <laughs> which I had tweeted, uh, men will literally stick a phaser to their neck and cargo hold eighth and go to therapy, which I think is the most perfect form of that meme format because he's <laughs> literally doing it as opposed to going to therapy. Uh-huh. So I forgot about that bit until you posted that. And they were like, Oh (laughs) yeah. But yeah, this, the climax of this episode is him grabbing a emergency phaser off the wall, which is just like a thing that they have like all around the place in track. Cause like this was in one of the movies too, where it was in the fucking kitchen. Like, I'm just going to grab a gun. (laughs) (laughs) It's in this wall mounted, yeah, it's in this wall mounted thing next to the fire extinguisher. Uh, Well, they're not military ships, you know, they're they're science vessels or habitat (laughs) ships. That's right. Well, especially Deep Space Nine, it was an ore processing facility. Uh Perfectly, actually, like it does make more sense. That makes sense for Cardassian guards and stuff, yeah. That they would just have them all over the place because they made a whole program that was just digital attention bajoran workers yeah (laughs) not not on my list by the way but came close it also came close for me too that is a fantastic episode i don't know if you know the background of that episode by the way no what apparently it was a gigantic mess they were having a lot of trouble getting the episode to come together they like every writer on the staff took a pass at that script huh uh, and it kept getting rejected because they were struggling to actually convey the stakes involved in the tension because you do not really get to see a physical like enemy in the episodes, just all the recordings of Gold Ducat. Yeah. Uh, but they f- eventually figured it out. And then even then, like apparently the, the filming of that episode was absolute hell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's basically Gold Ducat as Shodan for that episode. Oh, man play my system shock hack where I just took all the golden cut lines out of that episode. I was thinking about photoshopping this just the other day. <laughs> uh, now that I'm home from work, I will probably do that. But yeah, that, that in the whole bit where he comes in and he's like really cocky at everybody like, ah, I heard you're having some issues. Well, I got a uh, distress beacon. said the, the Bajoran workers in the ore processing unit were on revolt. That's weird. If you want to have me shut this system down, one of you will have to have sex with me, Kira. <laughs> oh, no. It's <laughs> the and, first and, episode where they start getting into the Kira Gold Ducat stuff, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh. But but that's also um, a bit where then he's like, all right, we've made a deal. You'll turn the station over to me. Uh, all right, <laughs> beam me back to my ship. Brr. 
If you're seeing this message, Gold Dukat, we have determined that you have tried to abandon the station when <laughs> revolt is in progress. Uh, the coward's just... contingency. Exactly. They knew that yeah. Gold Dukat would try to do that. Yeah. Anyways, it's not about civic discourse, which civil is defense. A civil defense. Close oh, enough. Also, that is the episode um, where the image of Kira with the phaser from We've Got Ourselves a Collaborator is from. Yes, yeah. Uh, look, I got the name of that episode wrong, but let's not forget uh, Rule of Acquisition 2389, Never Be Afraid to Mislabel a Product. <laughs> Do you have a list of the rules of acquisition in front of you? I always have a list of the rules of acquisition in front of me. You can borrow my pocket list of rules of acquisition if you want. Remember okay. when I was at the Democratic Convention and I waved my pocket list of rules of acquisition up and I said that Donald Trump could borrow it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I keep it with me all the time. Gold Star Family. Gold Star Family. Anyway, uh, Hard Times ends with O'Brien about to commit suicide. And it's like an actually like incredibly powerful scene where he is finally coming clean about everything that happened and the precise way that it is weighing on his soul. How they basically broke down his humanity and tried to destroy him as a human being. And for like a brief moment, they succeeded and he committed an unforgivable act. But the fact that he is now feeling the way he does about it now shows that he was able to rebuild himself back up to that point of being human. Uh, and this ends up like getting him to kind of come down from it. He's fine. They give him some pills and everything's a-okay by the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the thing with DS9 is you do have a lot of uh, palpable character growth. There is a lot of like through lines, things that continue from one episode into the next, which you didn't really have with any other bit of like uh, Trek media outside of the original series movies. Mm -hmm. uh, because it was still everything was very episodic just very self-contained uh except o'brien must suffer episodes always need to reset o'brien back to like point zero so his suffering can be at its peak the next time they make a o'brien centric episode yeah he, he's like star trek's prometheus yeah you know like the the crow comes and eats his liver, but then it has to grow back so it can do it again. Yeah. And in some episodes, you just kind of kill an O'Brien so he can come back at point zero and suffer uh -huh. all over again. So it's fine. Yeah. He's like Jesus Christ. He's coming back all the time. That's right. Larry, what is your number three? My number three is a Klingon episode. What? That's right. I'm Most... glad this podcast is ending. <laughs> Most Klingon episodes are terrible, except for That's one, right. Armageddon Rising. Uh, this is the episode where this is shortly after Odo has become a solid again in a very disturbing nude beach scene. Um, <laughs> and he sees an image of Gowron. This is actually a technically a continuation because it's like the first episode in one season that's going from the finale of the previous one, but mm. not really a two part. Um he sees an image of Gowron and he's like, Oh, I saw images in my mind. The founders didn't want me to see. He's a changeling. And it turns out, no, he's not, but no. they go on a mission to expose the changeling. And this includes a lot of really good stuff of the whole crew being made to look and act like Klingons and Worf trying to coach them on how to be a Klingon. And they Hell all yeah. suck at it. <laughs> yes. 
I like them all going to that like big ceremony where there's just buckets of blood wine yep. all over the place. <laughs> and they and had like to take this... like a pill to not be drunk, otherwise they wouldn't be able to stand up. Yeah. Wasn't like Cisco into it too? Like most of them yeah. were kind of just like, oh, fermented blood. And Cisco's like, yeah, shit's great. Get yeah, fucked up. Again, this is like this is Cisco channeling Avery Brooks like theater guy, where yeah. he is just like way into it. And well, part of it is like there's one guy bragging about how he killed somebody and then Cisco just like walks over and starts beating him up. And he's like, uh, brag all you want, but don't stand between me and the blood wine. <laughs> uh, but uh, then he talks to O'Brien and he's like, did you know him? Uh, I served with him in Starfleet Academy. <laughs> and so like, that's actually why he punched that guy out. But yeah, like Worf has everybody lined up and he's trying to instruct them on how to be Klingons. Like, don't speak softly. You, have to speak with force when you're talking to a Cleon. Yeah. Uh and then he goes over to Cisco and Cisco just like smacks him in the face and yells at him. Yeah. And he's like, very good. But did you mean to challenge me to a fight to the death? No, of course not. <laughs> well then next time do not smack me with the back of your hand. Use a fist. <laughs> <laughs> here's my here's my dark secret laid bare Larry. As I'm watching yeah. TNG, I'm finding I like the Klingon episodes in TNG more than the ones in DS9 because they actually have more to set up to get the audience to understand the Klingons and how much that race has changed since the original series. Mm -hmm. So like the one of the first ones, actually, I think the first one uh, is, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but a group of Klingons who are basically separatists uh, come aboard the Enterprise and the Klingon government wants them back because they're trying to like reignite the war with the Federation because they feel that making a peace treaty is antithetical to what being a Klingon is. And so this is the episode where you get like their death ritual, which is just like screaming yeah, into yeah. the heavens. So like the dead know a Klingon. It's like yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Code of Honor is a episode that's very similar to this. This is where there's basically a foreign exchange student program oh, going no. on. And so Wrecker is going to go over to a Klingon ship and they're going to, you know, bring a, or no, they don't bring Klingon over to the enterprise. It's just Riker goes over there. And so Riker's like doing his Klingon. This is, different. This is a different episode. I think code of honor is the one with um, the weird jungle gym. Is it? Yes. Because that's one of the episode, a matter of honor, I think is what you're thinking. Oh, yeah. They're they're given similar names. And also I have tried to block as much of Code of Honor out of my memory as Here's the thing. possible. The, uh, the text file that I put my list in is also the text file with the list of TNG episodes okay. that I was told to watch. Yeah. And so it's on there. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm conflating them. Uh, I yeah. think mostly because I, I badly want to forget that other episode because it's easily the worst so far. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this has like, it has a lot of like Riker uh, in 10 Forges ordering up a bunch of Klingon food, just live worms and stuff and eating them, just trying out the delicacies before he comes over. And, and then when and, he does. Um, in Armageddon Rising, there is a bit where um, O'Brien starts being like, you know, actually, I could get used to this blood wine. It's not too bad. Yeah. Uh, but there's there's a bit on the ship uh, where Riker's eating dinner with his uh, Klingon crewmates, and he's kind of just slowly working his way through, and this guy just kind of leans over and is like, don't like the food? You want milk from titty like baby? Baby titty? <laughs> <laughs> what? 
<laughs> Those aren't his exact words, but like basically just yeah. mocking him and saying that he's a baby who should be breastfed. <laughs> Great. <laughs> baby, and... want a bottle? A big dirt bottle? <laughs> But it's great because he has a bonding moment with that Klingon where he's talking about like, oh, his his father was dishonored or something. And Riker's like, you should still try to reconnect with him. He's like, ah, well, why would I do that? And Riker's like, uh, stranger things have happened. Let me eat this fistful of worms to prove it to you. <laughs> I, I would say in DS9, there are two other good Klingon episodes. I, I don't actually, know why but... he kept having Jonathan Frakes handle and eat worms. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, I would say there are two other good DS9 Klingon episodes. One would be the one where um, Jadzia's like old Klingon pals come back. Yeah. And they like have that raid on the Breen compound or whatever. That that one also is just very important though for setting up everything that kind of follows with like Dax and and Worf and her affinity for Klingon culture. Yeah. Um, She's a Klingaboo. Oh God. Yeah, she is. Um, Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. She's got a bat lift, but it's like not a real one because she just ordered it <laughs> off like an internet site that like can't yep. sell. It's not full thing. She she got like a uh, the Klingon battle hollow suite programs from Play Asia. <laughs> she claims it's like battle ready, but the first time she swings it at something, it shatters. <laughs> uh, so there's that one, and the one um, where uh, Worf's fail son is like on that crew yes. of that ship oh alexander is such a little goober he's the worst he's, he's... so terrible oh my god uh so i've watched uh the episode where his mom shows up in tng and she's a babe nice hot as klingon yet uh she plays like a vulcan in an episode it's like a few episodes prior to that too so it's weird seeing her kind of show up twice as two different aliens uh then that vulcan never shows up again because her other character, the Klingon character, became, like, too recognizable. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't just put her back in the initial role. Uh, but she's a half-Klingon, and she wants to kind of, like, push away from her Klingon heritage. Um, and and they have this romance, and Worf keeps trying to approach it as a Klingon, and she keeps trying to approach it as a human, and so there's this, like, conflict between them. It's really good stuff. It's a really good Klingon episode in TNG. And I think it's great those two character interactions result in Alexander, who is a d- just the worst. <laughs> He's yeah. just tripping over tables and like getting stuck in rooms full of poison gas. Uh huh. He's, he's just, uh, he's leaving training programs on and thinking they're enemy <laughs> ships. And everybody's <laughs> like, ha 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 ha, idiot. Alexander is absolutely the kind of guy who would go to the Hollow Suite, load up a porn program, and accidentally leave it running with like his name attached to it. So the next person who goes in, <laughs> so, oh God, what is this shit? Also, please, I would like to remind you that you say uh, Worf's mom is the hottest Klingon yet, but in that episode with him on the Alexander's ship, Alexander's mom. Yes, Alexander's mom. Um that uh gabriel union had a role as a klingon for That's like a good point 20 seconds or so yeah so keep that in mind martok's Don't a good looking martok's a good looking klingon yeah it was weird of remembering that he had two eyes at one point it, briefly yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how you can tell him apart oh good martok is the one with the, the single eye yeah two eyes that's a bad martok yeah oh so yes back to the episode 
where uh, they have to set up these very inconspicuous little balls that they are uh, putting on statues, which anybody with a brain would notice. Thankfully, yeah. the Klingons are very stupid. Well, also um, very drunk. Well, helps. yes, that too. Yeah, Gowron isn't drunk though, but he does show up. Uh, well, someone needs and... to be the designated driver. <laughs> yeah, and Martok I think also is not drunk, although he well, c- cannot be. In yeah. fact, because they uh, set up these uh, devices which are meant to expose a changeling if they get set off, but instead they get captured um, because Cisco is very recognizable and Martok recognizes who he is. Um, there's also a fight this guy, between... This Klingon is just talking in riddles and rhymes. <laughs> Could it be? Why does this Klingon keep talking about jazz? <laughs> um Gowron fights with a wharf, and there's a very good bit there going back to rewatch this where he says, You should have killed me, you won't get another chance. And yeah. uh well see how that turned out. <laughs> uh but they get thrown in jail. Uh Martok comes and bails them out like he's pretending to be on their side. Uh, but what gives them away is that he's like, We're going to go kill Gowron, there won't be any honorable combat, and Odo is on to him. And yeah. so he's like, ah, oh, Klingon wouldn't say that. And so then he's outed. He's the changeling. He was the mole. Gets blasted. Every like, All the Klingons like line up and just like dump into him too, which is really good <laughs> until he explodes. Um, and then that's that. Yeah. I, 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 Oh god, I was going to say. Oh, uh, Galron, I think is like more of an antagonist in TNG. I think they set up like there's a adversarial relationship with them already between Worf and uh, Galron, mm-hmm. and so like a lot of that stuff just sort of comes to a head in DS9. I mean, um, yeah, he, he's antagonistic for most of DS9. To be fair, in most of DS9, he's antagonistic because he's also very dumb. Yes. It's not necessarily that he is trying to be the antagonist. He just is too set in his ways, too stubborn well, and not at all that bright. He's also very petty, though, is yeah, the thing. Like that's, at that's the end true. of the show, when um, he like takes over from Martok just because he doesn't want Martok to have the glory and he wants to make him look bad. So he starts sending him yeah. and his crew on death missions. Yeah. Well. That is, it is a good Klingon episode. I don't have any Klingon episodes on my list uh, because I did not want to shock or offend you. And so I am <laughs> shocked and offended that you had a Klingon episode on your list. Uh, but my number two... Number two. Number two is in the pale moonlight. Uh, this is basically oh, my selection. Oh, boy. This is my selection for a very like uh, through-line plot-centric episode. So I thought this would be your number one. Ah, but it's not. It's my mm-hmm. number two. My number one could my number one could be anything. It could even be the magnificent Ferengi. <laughs> uh, okay. My number one could be an episode of TNG. You don't know. At this point, you're right. I don't. Uh, in the pale moonlight is, I think, just a fantastic morality play involving Cisco. Uh, they are. Cisco is putting up like the list of casualties in the Dominion War, and it is just wearing him down. And mm-hmm. so he realizes that the thing that needs to happen, the thing that has to give, is the Romulans need to get brought into the war against the Dominion. And like logically, the Romulans who have like a non-aggression treaty with the Dominion are going to be the Dominion's next target once the Federation is defeated. 
It just makes sense. It is almost certainly what would actually happen. Uh, but the Romulan government is very stubborn on this, and they refuse to budge and break the non-aggression treaty. So, Cisco needs to come up with a reason for them to do this, and he enlists the help of Garrick, which is mistake number one, but also yeah. the correct thing to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they come up with this plot, and by come up with this plot, I mean Garrick has come up with this plot and keeps making very convincing arguments for Cisco to just, like, break down another moral barrier and go along with it. Mm-hmm. And the plot is to fabricate a data rod uh, of a fake meeting between Wayun, um, Damar, some other Cardassian who cares. I don't think he says anything. And it's just them planning like, hey, we're going to carry out a strike on Romulan territory. Uh, This rod would then be given to a like hardline backer of the non-aggression treaty, because if you can convince one of those guys to go along with this, then all the rest of the pieces will fall into place. Uh, So this is the episode where you get the very famous, it's a fake thing from, because he of course sees through it, which is part of the plan. Uh, some other like steps involved is they have to like get a guy out of Klingon jail who's going to be executed the next day. Uh, which speaking of like Klingon culture stuff, I like how that guy shows up and he's just like, I might have got executed tomorrow, but like they tell you that all the time in Klingon jail, they think it's funny, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so this dude also stabs Quark, <laughs> which forces. Cisco to bribe Quark because he can't have a record of this guy actually being on DS9. Uh, and so you got like a really good bit of smug Quark finally getting one over on Cisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, quoting one of the rules of acquisition that every man has his price. Um, so I really what like that. What is that? Uh, I'd, I'd have to refer to my pocket manual, uh, which would involve some clicking around. <laughs> okay. So I'm not going to do that for the sake of audio quality. All right. Uh, but I, I do like that. The one little bit you get with Quark is even even Quark is getting a victory over Cisco in this episode. That's how low Cisco is in this. Right. And this is um, really just like the progression. Like he's been sliding this way for a while. Yeah. The whole bit with him irradiating that planet to make it uninhabitable for the Ma- for the Maquis. Yeah. Uh, Speaking but, of petty, that's that's Cisco's pettiest moment because Cisco a lot don't of that... mess around though. At the same time, no. like. He, don't let Eddington win. No. He's Eddington. Yeah. Benedict a... Cumberbatch looking freak. <laughs> little weasel. <laughs> Showing up on the hologram that they then decide not to use again. <laughs> they use a plenty in Discovery, and in fact, they used it all the time in that period of time, according to the manual, of that course. had to adhere to this goddamn canon that's been irreparably harmed. Because they just couldn't have the decency to go ad set in the J.J. Abrams timeline. CBS should not be allowed to make more Star Treks. That's my top take I agree. For you. But everything really went to shit after Enterprise. <laughs> went to shit during Enterprise. Whatever. Um, so it's it's he sees through it. It's a fake. Uh, this was part of the plan because Garrick also snuck onto his ship and uh, rearranged all the pots and pans while he was away, and it blows up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but as Garrick explains it, after he gets the backside of Cisco's hand laid across his cheek, uh, 
the fact that this data rod was clearly a fake but is now floating in space on a dignitary ship damaged, I'm sorry, a senator ship damaged, gives them the cover they need to convince the rest of the Romulan government that it's real. Any imperfection could be explained away by the fact that it was damaged. And hey, why else would the senator have it if not to rush back to Romulus to tell everybody the quote-unquote truth of what the Dominion's going to do? And oh, the ship was blown up because the Dominion knew this and they carried out a strike on it to prevent him from getting back there. All of this works. The fact that there are like two deaths on Cisco's shoulders and his morality has been dragged to its lowest point still results in the Romulans joining the war, which is actually what is needed to push back the Dominion and secure victory by the end of the series. Like right. all this was necessary. Uh, I just, I think it's a very fascinating episode. I, I think that it does really good character work with Cisco in particular, but like Garrick has given a lot of great stuff in this as well. I like it a whole lot. I, I think it is the best through plot centric episode of DS9. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so that's specifically why I said, said I wasn't picking like main plot episodes because if yeah. I had, this is absolutely one of the best. Yeah. Uh, and would have been maybe uh, probably two on my list, I would guess. Um, but yeah, th this one's really fantastic. Uh, also, the thing with Garrick, like um, when I was talking about our man Bashir, that actually has something very similar to this, which is where Bashir is telling him, like, you need to kill these people. Like, even though it might kill them in real life, like, it's basically you or them. And at some yeah. point, you have to realize, like, that's how I've survived as long as I have is knowing like when to walk away from this kind of thing and when to cut my losses. Yeah. Uh, that's the actual life of a spy, yeah. not hanging out in hotel rooms in Hong Kong. Yeah. Which of, of course, to quote the 223rd rule of acquisition unknown, but presumably concerning the relationship between keeping busy and being successful. Wait, shit. Wait, what? Oh, okay. That one's just, uh, I think that's like an editor's note. Who edited it? T uh, 229 Latinum less, uh, longer than lust. Yeah, there you go. What's your, <laughs> what's your number two? <laughs> my, my... Oh, I, I will say before we move on for this one entirely, I also really like, uh, the bits where it is jumping forward to Cisco trying to like rationalize everything that happened. Oh, yeah. And it's just done as like, he's recording this into his personal logs. And of course, at the end of it, just like delete the entire log. I can't have anybody know about this. This is basically my version of therapy is drinking an entire glass of, I think, vodka. <laughs> and just <laughs> ranting and raving about the people I've killed. Yeah. Uh, so my number two, number two is duets. Yes. Which, speaking of morality plays, a, a very yeah. literal one. <laughs> Uh, an episode that famously came about because they spent their entire budget earlier in the season and needed to make a bottle episode and instead made one of the best things in the entire series and a blueprint for the series to come. Um, this one also, the pacing in it is really good. Like the twists keep coming. So like, first of all, uh, they get the message that Ed Cardassian is going to stop on the station. They're like, oh, okay, that's weird. Then they find out that he has this disease. I don't remember what it's called. But that means that he would have been at the specific Bajoran labor camp 
when there was this cave-in or accident or something that happened. Yeah, it's like the result of uh, some sort of compound in the air yeah. that would basically, oh, you got irradiated at your job, so you have this specific form of cancer. Right, but this labor camp is like specifically the bad one. Like, it's, it's the Auschwitz of Bajoran labor camps, essentially. the guy they had go around and spray raid everywhere, and so... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he he was spraying Roundup and Roundup, yeah. Um, so of course Kira is not into this because she was part of the uh, group that liberated that camp and saw how bad it was. Uh, but you keep getting these things where first it's like, okay, he was the he was. I think first they say like he denies that he has it. It's some other disease. Then it turns out okay, he did have it, so he was there. But he was just a file clerk. Then it's like oh we looked at this uh this photo and he's actually Goldarheel, i think was his name yeah um and he was the guy in charge and so then he like starts fessing up to it and he's doing this really theatrical thing like very uh avery brooks like yeah. of bragging about how many deaths he caused and how good he was at his job and all this stuff then, I love to kill. I did so much killing. It was great. Kill was, again if I could. It was honorable. I loved it. Like yeah. you know, that whole thing. And then the final thing is they find that he has been surgically altered to look like Goldarheel. And his whole thing was that he got captured on purpose to be executed in order to give uh, accountability to the Cardassians. Yeah. Well, I think also... It's to soothe his conscience, too. Yeah. There, there is a selfish component in it because he was just this wimpy little file clerk guy watching atrocities happen and knowing that he couldn't do anything about yeah, it. That and guilt, like not wanting to live with it because he said, like yeah. at the end when he breaks down, is like, I heard their screams every night and yeah. all of that stuff. And he didn't do anything about it. But yeah, like as as well for the Bajoran uh, people, like you said, giving them closure to this horrible thing that happened. Because I think that like the actual goal involved in that is he he died because uh, Goldacott says that he was there at his funeral. Yeah, but I I think it's in such a way that it's just like, well, that's not really giving any resolution to the Bajorans. No, because like, he, he was, like, honored during it. Like, he got a bunch of medals or something. He fell down some stairs, and, like, yeah, they <laughs> gave him a hero's funeral, and, yeah. He, he died on the toilet. <laughs> they didn't want anybody to know about it. They just covered it up. Oh. Yeah, I, Duet is uh, one that I did not consider when I was going back and looking at episodes, and I should have. Uh, when... Oh, what were you talking about earlier? You, we were bringing up Garrick uh, for some other reason other than in the Pale Moonlight. And I was thinking about like, oh, right, Duet is a really good one as like just some very powerful performances in it. It says a lot of really interesting stuff about the relationship between Cardassians and Majorans. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it serves a very good purpose as far as like building that lore up. It's also um, one of the first times you get... Um kira like sort of coming to terms with her view of cardassians yeah and where, so like, like she says like you didn't do anything we're not going to execute you like i'm not going to have an innocent death yeah. on my hands even if it is a cardassian and, and yet then, yeah and the follow-up to this episode would be the one where she's taken hostage by that like cardassian butler who was disfigured in a bombing uh run that she did oh that's way uh, later it is way later but it is i think kind of following off of 
what this episode sets up, which yeah, is yeah. the horrible acts that both I'm I'm a true Bajoran Cardassian centrist. Uh, both sides <laughs> are equally bad. <laughs> well, well, no, <laughs> no, I know they're not. But uh, Kira's a terrorist. Yeah, she is a d- terrorist from tip to toe. Like, Proud of it. Yeah, hell yeah, she is. But like something that the series does is kind of challenges her pride in it at numerous points from beginning mm-hmm. to end. And and that episode is both of these are examples of that where, where she is like you said kind of learning about her relationship with the Cardassians and duet and whether or not she'll have an innocent life on her hands but the Kira of the past would not be phased by having any innocent Cardassian life on her hands because she no. was routinely bombing them and it comes back to bite her when someone who survived one of those bombings who's just a civilian wants to torture and murder her as an act of revenge and as a reflection of who Kira was. Well, it, it also comes up again at like at the very end part where she's teaching Damar and all of the other Cardassians yeah. like how to operate a terrorist cell where she's like, yeah, they say like they don't want to bomb places because they would have Cardassians in them. And she's like, if they do, then they're collaborators. Like you can't, it, yeah. if, if you don't do that, then they will put a Cardassian in every station because then they know you won't do anything to them. Yeah. Um, Which I, I think the collaborator thing though was also an excuse that she makes at times to oh, be yes, able partly. to do what 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 she knows is necessary necessary but is still like morally compromising. Yes, yeah, so well, you have to do some sort of justification in your head for some of that. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, at the end of this episode, it doesn't really matter because not all Bajorans are as understanding as she, uh, or in fact, didn't even really know what was going on. Uh, and a dude just stabs the guy on the promenade. <laughs> hey, hey, everyone, check this out. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but then it's like he didn't do anything. He's like, it's a Cardassian. That's reason enough. And no, it's not. That's the end. It's a, a real downer, and I love it. So yes. Good. This I, was the I episode think... that I watched that then made me think I should watch the rest of the series. I, that makes sense. I, I could see that it is a very engaging episode. And like I said, it sets up a lot of very important character stuff and a lot of uh, lore centric information. Well, lore's in this. That's right. The best <laughs> TNG character lore. All right. I must have missed him. Just keep having Brent Spiner play really smug sociopaths. He's so good at it because yeah. he is one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I've seen him do interviews at conventions. Oh, Think okay. Brett Spiner has got the darkness in him. Brett Spiner? Brett Spinner. <laughs> <laughs> What's your number one? I love Brett Sprinter. <laughs> um, Tim Heidecker reading names <laughs> off cards. <laughs> No, I, I think probably the thing that DS9 does the best outside of doing, you know, we, we've now talked about two morality play episodes, which is definitely a strong suit of the series. Uh, I think probably a strong suit of the entire franchise, though, is doing morality plays. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but DS9 in particular, by kind of pulling focus away from the Federation and centering it all on this conflict between two alien ro- worlds and really diving into those cultures how those characters cope with what happened and the relationship between those two planets uh, and the characters that occupy those planets is incredibly good. 
that something Trek didn't do for a full fucking series until that point and has not done since then. Yeah. And I wish they would, because that stuff's really interesting. I think when you just get like a little taste of like, ah, here's who the brain are for like a episode, I guess it's fine. But like doing something more long form where you really just dig into that stuff is great. And that's why uh, I have the compulsion to read Memory Alpha and I should be put down like a dog. <laughs> You're just browsing through images of Jason Alexander with the weird head. <laughs> I believe I am. I'm reading the entire Jake Sisko article and getting angrier and angrier. <laughs> My number one is a gimmick episode. Uh oh. It's the funnest episode in all I, of DS9. All right. I Trials and tribulations. tribulations. Yeah. We're here to so talk about it. I said I was 90% sure of what your number one would be. Yeah. And that was going to be in the pale moonlight but the other 10 percent was going to be this so i was <laughs> you're very close i was very close yeah uh trials and tribulations is a real fucking good episode larry it davis is. it's it's very funny yeah it's also incredibly just well executed uh this is for anyone who somehow doesn't know uh, listening well, to this podcast be, listening uh, to this what, yeah what's the matter with you uh, there's a famous episode of the original series of Star Trek involving uh, alien species called Tribbles. They're these little fuzzy balls that squeak and they reproduce like cockroaches. Uh, they're basically just cute cockroaches because they get all up in the uh, mechanical works of the ship and, and basically sort of threaten everything as a result. Uh, but they're put there by a Klingon who has been altered to look more human, uh, which back in original series Star Trek didn't take much. No, uh, but they get that same actor to come back and play him aged up uh, over an appropriate amount of time for a Klingon. Uh, and he has fooled the Federation again and this time has absconded with the Bajoran time box cube of time and has gone back to the Tribble episode to take another pass at murdering Kirk, uh, this time by putting a bomb inside of a Tribble, which is even more devious <laughs> yeah uh so the rest of the ds9 crew has to go back in time and find the triple bomb uh and so you get a lot of them splicing together footage of the original triples episode and ds9 uh they appear to be using old cameras to try to give it the appropriately aged look mm -hmm. uh the integration of new footage and old footage is seamless i i could not spot any imperfections in those shots it is really impressive for the time that this episode came out there is one bit um in the uh in the fight in the restaurant or cafeteria whatever where they like throw a chair or something i think in front of o'brien maybe mm. and that looks pretty weird um but yes for the most part it's done really well the bit where they're getting a dressing down uh by kirk where he's taking all their yeah. clothes off uh that's what dressing down means, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Especially when Kirk's doing it. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yeah, when, when Kirk's just going down the line and chewing them all out and you have O'Brien and Bashir in that lineup, like, it looks great. They yeah, look yeah. like they are there in front of old-timey uh, William Shatner. It looks more convincing than, like, green screen stuff in modern Marvel movies. It does, it's the most messed up. fucked up thing about, yeah, like, 
I mean, the, the, the technical execution of this episode continues to impress me because, again, at that specific point in time, back in the 90s when they were doing this, it is insane how good this looks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, you but, had, uh, like, this is kind of Robert Zemeckis style, like, who pioneered yeah. that kind of thing, yeah. uh, like Tales from the Crypt or whatever. Um, but, yeah, the execution is very good. Yeah, I but the the actual plot, the pacing of it is incredibly well done too. Everybody has a role; they all have something to do, and the way that they interact with the time period that they're in is really fun. I like that Odo, when seeing a triple, is just completely enamored with it. It's the cutest. <laughs> yeah. You see the softer side of Odo as he's just stroking this thing, going like, "Oh, I can't believe Klingons are afraid of you," and like holding it up to Worf to freak him out. <laughs> You get a lot of Worf just being like, oh, Tribbles, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Um, There's that great bit, too, where they see the other Klingons in the uh, cantina, and they're just like, hey, Worf, uh, why come you don't look like them? Yeah, uh, it's a long story, and I don't want to get into it. We don't talk about it with outsiders, is their hand wave for it. I think... I think Discovery tries to get into that because the Klingons look radically different in Discovery. And so I think that there's some sort of it's like a gene mutation thing. Like one of the human characters in that show is actually a Klingon. And I think it has something to do with that, that they all, for whatever reason, push towards humanoid or more humanoid than they already are. And then they kind of start swinging back over time. It's weird. I don't know. Discovery has to jump through it. They just make it take place in the goddamn J.J. Abrams universe. What the fuck is wrong with you? Stop yeah. doing this. <laughs> if you're going to do a Star Trek set in the original universe, make it take place after Voyager. There's no harm in that. It would make more sense with the progression of technology. Anyway, what I'm saying is everybody should watch Picard. I hear it's very good. <laughs> Also, this episode uh, features Chedzia being very horny for Dr. McCoy. And also Spock. Oh, Spock. Is that basically, yeah, actually, basically, basically everyone. everybody? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. There's a bit where she's eyeing up Spock, uh, or she's just like, oh, wow, he really is good looking. And uh, Cisco's like, yeah, Kirk was well known as a ladies' man. She's like, no, I mean Spock. And so Cisco's <laughs> yeah. like, all right, let's go. Let's get you out of here. Yep. Uh, but then later on, yeah, her looking over at McCoy and being like, ah, I used to date him. The hands on that man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no shock. He became a surgeon. Uh, God. Oh, but so similar to in the pale moonlight, there is a kind of a jump forward. Uh, that you keep going back and forth between uh, the main events of the episode and then Cisco kind of explaining it to somebody. Uh, in this case, it's the time cops. And I just really like that temporal investigations are a thing that has to exist in the Star Trek universe because yeah. this shit keeps happening. Mm-hmm. People just keep going back in time and it's a real problem. So we need to have someone there to sort it all out. And by the end of the episode, their completely understanding of everything that happened are just like, oh, cool, you got Kirk's autograph? Yeah. That's dope. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's very yeah. good. Uh, but the, the start of this too, where he's just like, yeah, we ended up having to run into Captain James T. Kirk, and one of the time cops is like, oh, God, that guy. You know how many temporal <laughs> infractions he has on his record? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> like apparently he's just the worst repeat offender of time crime well also like don't the people in the mirror universe mention him too they do yeah in yeah. one of the mirror episodes kirk does come up uh yeah. well i think partly because like everybody is familiar with what the mirror universe is and so they go like oh this happened to kirk yeah in the past how did kirk get out of this oh it was a transporter things so we need to find a transporter and reconfigure it um cool that transporters can sometimes just send you to the past i mean yeah sure they're killing you every time you use them so why not yeah sometimes they don't kill you and they just reform you into like a thing monster yeah that also is fine it's all fine yeah sometimes you find a dyson sphere and things go south and you have to digitize yourself for 70 years and then when they wake you up you're a real dumb dumb because you've not kept up with modern day engineering Uh uh-huh this is how they get scotty into tng (laughs) by the way scotty is still canonically alive in the tng timeline tng is only like 70 years later uh something like that but i thought it was longer than that keep in mind too mccoy is alive at the start of tng he's like 130 years old or something like that you mean spock no mccoy what yeah wow their their passing of the baton was having mccoy aboard the enterprise in the first episode oh boy and he's just like hunched over in old man makeup they they managed (laughs) to make they managed to make DeForest Kelly look even worse than he already did by that wow. point in time. Uh, <laughs> and so even in like a Picard, I think Picard is over 100 years old at that point. Like humans at that point in time have sure. such long lifespans. So I think like even for Scotty for it to be 70 years past the point where he digitized himself, he was already probably pretty old. Yeah. I haven't got okay. to that episode yet. I just, I know what it's about. I've heard of it. I've seen a few clips of it. Uh, Cause he drinks like synthetic whiskey and is like, this is fucking crap. <laughs> I need the real shit. Give me the real shit. <laughs> Sweating uh, with like a half grown beard, like tie undone shirt collar popped open. Just like roaming around the ship. <laughs> looking <laughs> like Orson Welles and chimes at midnight. They hooked a steady cam up to him facing forward, so it's just like a really fucked up shot of him. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless James Doohan. We love him. Rest in peace, James Doohan, who famously hated William Shatner more than any man alive. That's how you know he has the right idea. Yeah, he he knew the red flags. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, I, I think Trials and Tribulations is the best episode of DS9. It, it it is not necessarily the most representative of DS9, but I think it is uh, the funniest episode we've ever had. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I think its integration into old footage is fantastic. I think like, it's excellently paced, tells a fun story. It's, it's terrific. You see a triple get beamed out into space and it fucking blows up. It's great. <laughs> Actually, like, that is kind of true. Like, they were probably looking at that and being like, this is the funniest episode we've ever had if we can get working. That's right, yeah. Yeah. yeah one case where it actually pans out. Yeah. Just so, patting this uh, model of a Ferengi and going, uh, the founders cut through these guys like butter. <laughs> <laughs> My number one episode, and I think it is insane that this is not anywhere on your list, is The Visitor Mm, uh to me not this, a visitor this is the single best episode of the series like counting all of them uh 
and I think it's just one of the best episodes of TV I've seen in general. Hmm. Um, so this episode, I praise coming from someone who's never watched The Wire. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I never will. So, uh, this is an episode where Cisco is working on like the warp core for the Defiant. Mm. Something goes wrong, malfunction, wormhole, blah blah blah. Goes wrong, zaps him, disappears. So Jake thinks he's dead. Turns out, no, he is like stuck in subspace, and so from there on he occasionally just appears near jake it's like uh the tim and eric episode where tim turns into a cat occasionally he just reappears as a <laughs> yeah, screaming just... naked version of himself <laughs> yes kind of it's like the uh it's exactly the same it's like the return of bruce wayne arc where dark side <laughs> zapped him in a final crisis and then yeah. he's going forward through time and very similar yeah, kind of kind of I mean, it's almost exactly the same sure but this is a presented a framing device of old Jake Sisko, played by the great Tony Todd of Candyman fame, uh, and also another episode of Star Trek where he was a Klingon. I believe mm. that's in TNG. Candyman, famously a political movie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, they're making it woke now, which, you know, they do that <laughs> for everything. Did you make that gizmo got woke? I did. Image? I did make that gizmo got woke. Image. <laughs> I, I was hoping you did. <laughs> Because um, I, I started thinking about, not to completely sidetrack, Larry's referencing The Quartering, which is a YouTube series uh, that seems to centric around a right-wing guy who doesn't actually watch any of the media, media that he critiques like at all. Uh, and so there was a prompt to just describe your favorite movie as a quartering episode, and, and mine was uh, Gender Change Potions, SJW Gremlins Take Over a Clamp Tower! <laughs> yeah. But it was the image that really took it over the top. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I started thinking about like, okay, well, what would the episode be? What would the thumbnail be? I got, I got into the creative zone. Yeah, it's <laughs> so a anyway. pretty gizmo. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the, the worst part is, I tried to get like in his headspace of how he designs his thumbnails, and I just was like, okay, well, take the very first image that you get on whatever Google image search you do for very right-wing terms so just like trans wig okay first one grab that put that on gizmo <laughs> sure i also liked how you still had the explosion like background and the rainbow flag well sure you need to make it known that it's bad that yeah. gizmo's woke of course <laughs> anyway so the visitor um so cisco is now jumping through subspace and he is tethered to jake um, and uh, old Jake is talking to this lady, by the way, played by Andrew Robinson's daughter, I think, um, who wants to be a writer herself. Of course, everybody loves Jake's book. Jake's such a great writer. Yeah. You see no evidence of that in the actual series, but take our word for it. I, Yeah, that's kind of a weird disparity is that in the future, he's apparently this very accomplished writer, but in the present, all his writing is kind of just like, people just wave him away, like, we don't care, Jake, that's nice, it's cute, you think you're going to become a writer. Yeah. And it's like a trope that kind of reoccurs in a lot of other shows where, like, if you have a writer character, the writer character is always a failure. He's a complete fail writer. 
Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's probably writers of shows having some sort of like self-depreciating sense of humor about being a writer. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I do like the, the implication of this episode. I d- doubt it was intended. And it's just my takeaway is that the event that transforms Jake into a good, competent writer is Cisco being dead. So yeah. like in order for Jake to be successful, Cisco gotta go. I mean, it's actually kind of the opposite because the thing is his life becomes ruined because he's trying to bring Cisco back. Oh, like, sure. It, he is an accomplished writer for a little yeah. bit, but he only gets like two books published. And then he like, there's the bit with his wife. Sometimes um, it's all you need. Imagine if they just wrote Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs and never did Hannibal. Would have been pretty good. Um, so uh, there's a bit with him and his wife uh, where like Cisco appears during that part and gets to meet her and talk to Jake about it. Um, and, uh, but at this point, like he becomes obsessed with bringing Cisco back. Uh, I guess I should say Benjamin Cisco. Um, but everybody knows who Cisco is, you know, Jake is Jake. Forget yeah. Jake. It's deep space nine. Um, <laughs> so well there's your episode title he he like starts uh spending all of his time researching like quantum mechanics and things to try to get them back he gets the whole crew back together to try to uh recreate the same incident that zapped him away and try to bring him back but that doesn't work instead he briefly gets brought into subspace with him and cisco was like so distraught that jake is spending all of his time doing this and that he's basically ruined his life just in search of this yeah which oh i was gonna say it's amazing to me that trials and tribulations can look so good and yet for this period of television nobody could get old man makeup right (laughs) yeah it's also bashir does this really weird old man voice yeah that's the other thing is everyone always tries to like affect an old person voice and they always go over the top with it yeah no one can find that right medium and i i don't know how much of that is just well your voice sounds different in your head due to the way sound works than it does actually being projected and how much of it is well we gotta we need to film this show so we don't got time to give you feedback on this just do old man voice yeah bashir is basically going like well i don't know if the if the warp core trick will work like that like very <laughs> stupid like oh i'm frail <laughs> yeah oh my hip oh no oh like, be, abe simpson uh, I, oh, I need to take my pills first. And he holds up like a hand. It's like wiggling around, just pills flying everywhere. Matlock. <laughs> I'm glad we got your dad back. They need to put me back in the home now. Yeah, basically. My kids don't come to visit me anymore. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so they do all this. And they find that Jake is acting as a tether for him. And so Jake realizes that in order to bring Cisco back to the original point, then he has to die while Cisco is there. So he injects himself. I'm not really sure exactly how this works because he injects himself like quite a bit before Cisco shows up. Yeah. Um, but just that whole ending part of him saying like, you have to go back because that kid needs you more than you know and all that stuff and like 
for one thing, Lois Lane, you were right about him. <laughs> you were right. Like anything with dads and sons, though, will get to me. Basically, uh, this episode makes me cry every time. Uh, I just think it's really fantastic. It helps that my dad is a dick, so I was cold <laughs> and emotionless through this entire episode, and didn't even you, bust my top ten. You, you just see there, you're just watching it, just completely dead eyed, just, just jaw slack. Why, why did Jake do any of this shit? It's not fucking worth it. Yeah. Oh, my dad got exploded by a warp core. I'm going to go play video games now. <laughs> Fuck that, dude. Oh, man. That's sad. Eh, I'm fine. <laughs> Are you? Yeah, I am. I turned out great. Everything's good over here. All right. I'm watching all of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> yeah, that's the like a symptom of a healthy mind. <laughs> Ed Asner fucking dead, Betty White. Fuck! <laughs> anyway that's my number one the visitor i don't i don't know why father son stuff affects you so much but i appreciate that you that your favorite episode of ds9 is an episode about jake (laughs) cisco yeah it's weird because like that's the reason that this didn't even register for me is i keep thinking like ah too much jake i mean the thing is you don't get much of young jake is the thing like it's all it's all tony todd jake also this is the first time you see nog in like captain regalia i was going to bring that up before we end this that uh the thing that i like the most about this episode is just seeing where nog's career has gone yeah i like that a whole lot i i like that nog is not only the first ferengi in the federation but also ends up getting um captainhood at at some point in the future and then Mm -hmm. if you know you take the hypothetical revival episode into consideration uh, the first Ferengi in the Federation also get blowed up. <laughs> so, you know. But, but also something something interesting about this episode, uh, which kind of goes back to what you said about O'Brien getting reset, is that Cisco remembers everything he saw. Hell yeah. Because like, he gets to the end and uh, Jake tells him to dodge the beam from the warp core. And so he does when he comes back, which means like he didn't like get reset. He just straight up yeah. went back. But he's fine the next episode. Yeah. It's but occasionally right. he hallucinates that he's a, a, a science fiction writer. Yeah. Fine. Sure. Actually, like, if anything, like that one bit, the science fiction writer stuff does have an a- actual, like, lasting impact on Cisco's character because he then understands what racism is because he <laughs> yeah. has experienced it. Because, like, I, you know, perhaps he knew beforehand, but, like, the, the way that the Trek universe portrays, like, human interaction it it sells you on this idea that just racism is not a thing anymore there's definitely like bigotry between different races of aliens yeah the um is it uh the oceans 11 episode also brings it up yeah because he's just like oh it's not yeah it's not an authentic representation representation of that period of time because it does not integrate racism against black people that was infamously a problem back then yeah uh and so he's just like i'm not playing your game that doesn't show what racism is like and is a good time fun bar with vic fontaine (laughs) Uh, but then he's saying some slurs or i'm not interested (laughs) that's right uh, but then, of course, we've brought it up before. You get the bit of Julian at the card table, and his hand is uh, two kings, or no, three kings and two eights. Yeah, KKK eighty-eight. So you know, 
racism still a thing, even in the Hollow Suite. What a I, stupid ass episode. Yeah. So that comes like towards the very end of the series, like in the middle of their like 10 parter conclusion that like <laughs> is generally like is actually a really just strong series of 10 episodes, especially oh, when you consider that like I think they start losing their way in that last season. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that is because of Ezri Dax. Like, like they yeah. spend so much time like building her character up when it's like the show is about over. Like, yeah, they're yeah. trying to cover a lot of ground with that, and it never really comes together. Um, no, they they jettison all this stuff with Jadzia. It would have been more impactful if she just stayed dead, right? Yeah. Like it's the you should have killed Han Solo and Jedi thing of like this lets you know the stakes nobody's safe now we're going into the final season and already one of your main cast members is gone mm-hmm. but instead oh well it's a trill so we just yank the worm out we feed it to jonathan frakes and then <laughs> somehow you get a new one um worm worm um yeah, yeah. well Overall, DS9's a, a pretty good show. It had a rocky couple of seasons there at the start, but I think that's kind of true of a lot of beloved television programs. Oh, sure. Going back and watching the first two season, seasons of uh, The Simpsons can be pretty rough in places. Yeah. Uh, very different tonally and, and kind of what they wanted that series to be versus what it ended up becoming. Let's all go for some cold, frosty milkshakes. Yeah. 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 Show is never the same after Frank Grimes, though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, but, but like even, you know, Seinfeld, that first season of Seinfeld is pretty rough. Mm-hmm. Occasional glimpses of, of brilliance in there. I think it's either that season or the second one with uh, a dingo ate your baby. Like it's one of the first real good Seinfeld bits. Yeah. TNG fucking mess those first two seasons. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, DS9, eventually everything kind of just fits into place and it gets really good for a while. And yeah, that last season has some serious missteps, but it ends really strong. Those those final 10 episodes are all pretty damn good. Yeah, that's why it took me so long to get through. Well, you know, it took us so long to get through it. That's right. Um, yeah. Because we did it at the same time as part of this show. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, those, like the first half of that season is such slog. It is even, uh, you know, the it has a couple episodes, of good ones, but I uh, thinking about like there's an episode with Ezri and O'Brien where they go to like the Trill homeworld and it's kind of a bottle episode because it's mostly Ugh. just kind of no, taken. It's yeah, it's mostly just taken place inside of like Ezri's family home and there's stuff about, you know, the uh, Orion syndicate and like it's following off of another episode where like O'Brien had infiltrated the Orion syndicate. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, that episode's pretty good. This the, the follow up to that sucks shit because yeah. like so much of it is centered around Ezri instead of O'Brien and Ezri like like you said a lot of that season is just we need to figure out this Dax problem. I'm I'm surprised you did not mention uh, the episode where Bashir and O'Brien are uh, dream warriors and they go that, in William Sadler's head. That almost made my list. It was between that and having a Ferengi episode on it. Okay. And I, I had to go with the Ferengi one, but that is when, when I came up, when we came up with the concept of this episode of, of doing our top five, that was when I knew was going to be on it. And I was surprised as I was going through stuff to find that it was one that I couldn't 
quite put on my top five. Hmm. Uh, but it is probably like my number six. Uh, I, I really love them inventing the Inception concept before Christopher <laughs> Nolan got a hold of it. Well, you know, well, they're not Inception. They're uh, sure. They're, but they're still in the a, opposite would be. They're still in a wacky dream world that is changing around them. Yeah, I really yeah. like that bit of, uh, oh, what's the character's name? The uh, section. Oh, uh, Sloan. Sloan, yeah, they they run into Dream Sloan, but it's nice guy Dream Sloan. He's like, yeah. "Let me take you to meet my family." Hey, everyone, these are the guys that killed me. And then, like, the real one comes up and shoots him. <laughs> just blasts him, <laughs> just blows him away. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a good episode. That's also one where you get into like, okay, how much is a character willing to compromise himself morally? Because the the way that they are going about getting the information they need to save Odo is. We have to take a member of the Federation hostage. Mm-hmm. We need to interrogate him violently if we have to. Use a Romulan like mind jacking device, which is extremely painful. Also, oh, no. him there under false pretenses to begin with. Yeah. Oh no, he's going through brain death. So now we need to invade the darkest depths of his mind to pull the information out. So we need to like keep him just medically alive enough before pulling the plug on him. Like Bashir does some shit yeah. in that episode. Uh and also you have O'Brien realizing he'd rather uh be married to Bashir, which I think is just <laughs> Yes, it is. So anyway, I think that's all we gotta say about Star Trek for the rest of time. That's it. That's the end. I'll leave you all uh with the rule of acquisition number one hundred ninety. Hear all, trust nothing, do not take the vaccine. Uh, it has microchips in it. <laughs> I don't think that's in an actual rule of acquisition. <laughs> no, the hear all, trust nothing part is. Well, yes. <laughs> well, that's all I got to say about Star Trek. What about you, Larry? Well, that's it. Uh, putting a cap on this forever. All right. Well, as we always say around these parts... Uh, goodbye, will you? Goodbye.